there are different types of rejection, right? Major rejection will not occur by accident. That is something that has been done to them purposefully. It's repeated purposely or neglectful events, things like abandonment from parents or from caregivers. And then there's examples of rejection in childhood within family that is not necessarily intentional, but parents are not perfect, right? So some things that happen within the family system or within the family dynamics can be seen as rejection based off just people living and doing things that were done to them or just living their lives and and trying to do what's best for them as an adult, not realizing that the child is feeling rejected. Welcome to Through the Eyes of Trauma, an inner ear agency production, where we engage in discussions regarding the impact that childhood trauma has on education, life, and living. This podcast seeks to help listeners realize the widespread impact of trauma, recognize how it is impacting the students, adults, and families, respond in a way that facilitates healing, and to actively resist re-traumatization. Join us as we tackle the hard conversations, but give tools and strategies to help you cope and begin your journey towards regulation by healing first and educating always. To receive professional development, consulting, and childhood trauma intervention services, please visit us at innerearagency.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-E-A-R-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. Let's get into the conversation. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Through the Eyes of Trauma. I'm your host, Dr. Smith, and today we're going to talk about a topic that resonates deeply with many of us, rejection. Our title today is Rejection and Its Long Shadow, Navigating the Impact on Learning and Relationships. Our essential question is, how does high exposure to experiences of rejection in childhood affect the learning environment and shape adult behaviors and relationships? Now, rejection, whether real or perceived, can cast a long shadow over a child's learning environment. Research indicates that children who experience repeated rejection face unique challenges, not just academically, but also in their interactions with peers. And whether intentional or not, the effects of rejection in childhood follow them throughout their lives, while they're in school, how they interact with their peers, teachers, family, and ultimately how they move in adulthood. This can include fear of intimacy, distrust in people, especially those who are close to them, anxiety and depression, and people-pleasing behaviors. Feelings of confusion and emotional pain from rejection may lead to attachment challenges, ineffective coping mechanisms, or an overall sense of loneliness that can span from childhood to adulthood. So let's look at some data. A longitudinal study in the Journal of Educational Psychology found that children repeatedly rejected by peers are at a higher risk for academic difficulties, including lower motivation and reduced engagement in learning. And I want to point out that although this says that they're repeatedly rejected by peers, they are only thinking that they're rejected because of experiences of being rejected by family members or by parents before even going into the school system. And so when rejected early on, that those experiences are oftentimes repeated when they meet with peers because anything that their peers say or do, they take on as rejection. And then they they put out these behaviors to where students and other peers um, reject them for fear of thinking that they're different or those types of things. But 
Ultimately, when students are rejected at home, they also feel a sense of rejection from peers at higher risk, and they become higher risk for academic difficulties and also behavioral challenges. Now, I want our listeners to know that there are different types of rejection, right? Major rejection will not occur by accident. That is something that has been done to them purposefully, right? It's repeated purposely or, or neglectful events, things like abandonment from, from parents or from caregivers. And then there's examples of rejection in childhood within family that is not necessarily intentional, but parents are not perfect, right? So some things that happen within the family system or within the family um, dynamics can be seen as rejection, based off just people living and doing things that were done to them or just living their lives and, and trying to do what what's best for them as an adult, not realizing that the child is feeling rejected. And I read an article in um, A Mother Far From Home that discussed this very thing. And they talked about rejection can include things like preferring one child to another if there's a case where parents have multiple children or not being fair when extending privileges allowing some siblings to have certain freedoms and uh, that others do not or excluding them from age appropriate activities. And a lot of times um, this is seen in households where there are children who have, um, who are of different gender. So like maybe the males are able to date earlier or go out and drive the car before the females are because parents see them as, you know, not being as vulnerable as the female. But this can be seen as a type of rejection depending on who the child is. Because remember, I told you trauma is not an event, but it's how the person experienced that event. And so if they have experienced this as rejection, then it's a trauma for them. Things like spending too much time on your phone as a parent or online and the child feeling like um, you don't have enough time for them or one parent leaving and not following through on commitments to them. Lack of quality time together, making fun of a child, you know, interrupting or not letting your child speak or not have letting them have a voice choice and ownership and what goes on in the house can be seen as rejection to them. Not showing interest in what makes your child tick. So if something bothers them and you don't really, you don't move or don't act as though it matters, that can be seen as rejection. Being sarcastic, withholding compliments and praise um, from your children, like when they do good things and you're telling them, oh, you're supposed to do that. Not giving them the accolades that they're looking for can be seen as rejection. Never coming to your children's events. For a lot of children, that is a big thing to, to look up at a sporting event or look up at a play or a program and not see their parents there. That can be seen as rejection. I remember when I was in the school system, I had a student who it was awards day and they were receiving an award and their mother did not come. And the child cried so hard. And it wasn't that the mother was trying to neglect them or trying to reject them, but she had to work. And she wasn't able to leave work to come to um, the award ceremony. And it broke her spirit. She cried and she cried and she cried and she cried. And so I recorded her and I took pictures of her with her um, award and I sent it to her mother and I let her know. I said, although your mother wasn't able to get off work and come, she still saw you. And I texted the mother and I said, make sure you make a big deal out of it when you see her today so that she doesn't feel like she was neglected or she was rejected today but that you still saw um, her get her award you still are super proud of her just so that she won't remember that because children remember things like that you know even though to the parent it's not like she tried to uh, purposely because it's not a it's not a major rejection she didn't purposefully try to not come but she just wasn't able to to leave work to come and so things like that 
could be seen as rejection and cast a long shadow over children when they are, are in their developmental stage. And they can take that with them into adulthood and into the uh, school system because now they become a victim and they have this victimization mindset to where everything now is a rejection. Everything now is is neglect and they feel neglected because of things like that. And I have a personal story and I know my parents, um, if you ask them to this day, they would never say that they rejected or neglected any of their children because they're, they're they try to be so present. But with the, the work that they do as ministers, um, even though, you know, your first ministry is to your home, my parents were called on a lot to be there for other people, um, other families and other uh, people's children, because our our childhood, we, we weren't difficult children. We didn't, you know, we weren't on drugs. Um, we weren't promiscuous. We weren't in these streets like that. And so because of their, their ministry, they were called on a lot, um, to help, uh, other parents who dealt with just different, um, things with their children. And so they were always there. They were going to be there. They were going to show up at the house. They were going to show up at the jail. They were going to show up at the hospital. And even to the point where they had to miss things that we had going on and so a lot of times and I think I felt it the worst I felt super rejected because when it was time for like my prom or when it was time for um like my track meets like my dad would show up to my track meets and things and he would try to you know be there but my parents were ministry driven and so I had a feeling of rejection and I, and I guess that would be my my traumatic experience growing up is I felt like ministry was more important to them than what I had going on. And so even when I would get the awards and get the 4.0 GPA and all of those things, because I had been doing that in childhood, they were like, that's that's just what you do. Like, why do we need to go extra and above because that's you that's what you do you you bring home a's you do you know all of these great accolades and great things and they would tell me you know we're super proud blah 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 but when it came to showing up they had to be there for the people whose children were on drugs and who were struggling with um you know addictions and in the in and out of the hospital and jail and they would be there for them and so I felt you know a, a sense of rejection and I I would say that that ended up following me throughout like to where I, I didn't wait on the accolades from them. I just did what I need to do and I did it and didn't expect anything because I felt like I don't even want to feel the rejection. I'm not going to even tell them I have an award coming up. I'm not going to tell them this because I don't want them to have to choose on showing up for the, the people at the church or showing up for me. And so, you know, now that I'm adult, I can talk to them about it. But as, as a child, I didn't think I had the right because I couldn't complain because I didn't have parents who were on drugs. I didn't have, you know, where I wasn't being fed. I had my own room. I had, you know, the things that I needed, but other people weren't as fortunate. So my parents had to be there for them. So I wouldn't even voice really my opinion back then because I felt like I would be complaining and, and I didn't have it bad. You know, I, I wasn't in a, a traumatic um, household. And so, but when we understand that different people's experiences of rejection can look a lot differently, and you only know that if you give the people in your life, the children in your life, uh, opportunity to have a voice and to be able to talk to you about it, will you understand that this rejection is, is showing up in their, in their learning environment, it's showing up in, t- in their daily lives and in their experiences as adult, because this repeated exposure to, to, to a rejection from children can lead to a negative cycle. It can affect how children behave in their classroom, how they interact with their peers, and ultimately how they learn. 
And so let's talk about some behavioral signs in the classroom that you may have students who have suffered rejection. But first, let me share a story to illustrate how rejection experiences can manifest in the classroom. I once worked with a young boy. I'm going to call him Jake for the sake of this podcast. But he was a bright student. He was eager to learn. But his experiences of rejection had left him with super deep scars, right? Jake's behaviors, he would he would sit alone. He wouldn't talk to anybody, really. And when I would try to talk to him, he would kind of avoid eye contact and hesitate to answer questions in class just because he didn't want to get them wrong and he didn't want anyone to make fun of him or anything like that. But I would tell tell him, like, you know, we're all making mistakes. I need you to go ahead and answer some questions. You know what you're doing. Don't have this this idea that if I answer wrong, then the kids are going to laugh at me. They're going to reject me and they're not going to want to be my friends. Because ultimately, when we had a conversation, that's what he felt. I don't want to speak up because I don't want them to laugh and not be my friends because they think I'm dumb. And I'm like, you are not dumb. You are a bright student. Like, I just want you to feel like you belong here and to have some friends. But his fear of rejection was absolutely evident. And so it would be times where we go out onto the playground and he would be walking around in circles just around me and where the other teachers stood. And I would try to tell him, like, go play, go find you some friends. You know what you call it is over there. Go over there with him. And he would be like, no, he's not going to want to play with me. And I kept saying, why do you keep thinking that everybody's going to reject you? I don't understand. I don't know what you've experienced in the past. And this is kind of how I got him to to talk to me about his experiences. But I'm saying that's not going to happen here. We have a lot of classmates who are going to, to appreciate you for you. And I kept trying to get him to realize that he was in a space to where he didn't have to worry about rejection. Now, not everyone is going to like you and not everyone's going to have the same interest that you have. But that's not rejection here. Here is just preference. And so I would go and find people who had the same likes as him. When I knew his interests, I would go find others who had the same interests and try to connect them so that they can play play together. But Jake's story is a point and reminder of how rejection experiences can significantly impact a child's engagement at school and in the learning process because they're not going to try and take chances. They're not going to speak up. They're not going to make the first move as trying to be to be friendly or try to answer a question for fear of rejection or fear of looking a certain type of way where no one is going to want to play with them or no one's going to want to be around them, especially if you don't get everything perfect on the first time. But we have to understand with this type of impact on learning and academic engagement as the educators, as the adults in the situation, we have to make sure that we give them experiences of belonging. Because that is a developmental experience that helps students to be able to to be resilient. When we give them experiences of belonging, make sure that they feel like they belong and they're not rejected, right? Because the impact of rejection extends far beyond just social dynamics. It significantly influences how these children engage with learning. They may have, you know, reduced motivation. And so when they've been experiencing repeated rejection, it can diminish their intrinsic motivation to learn in the classroom. And they even might become associated with negative emotions by even trying or or hindering their eagerness to participate. And as the educator in the room to support those with diminished intrinsic motivation, you have to empower your students with a feeling of conscious choice, right? Provide them with voice, choice, and ownership over the activities that they do. Those activities that make them feel like, oh, you know what? I know how to do this. I master this. 
you know, I have mastery in this. And so if I do it and if I do it on a grand scale and I do it in front of people, I won't have these experiences of rejection, but I'll have experience of belonging because someone is going to want to come over here and ask me, how did you do that? Can you show me those type of experiences? And that is what builds resilience in the classroom. Also, beef up your student self-esteem, right? Constantly make a big deal about the things that they are good at. Bring out their strengths. And you only know that by engaging with your students, building relationships with them so that you understand and that you know what they have strengths in. And you bring that out in the forefront and make sure that other kids in the, in the classroom understand that and know that. I used to, I talk a lot about the student who couldn't necessarily read, but he can uh, fix a pencil sharpener like nobody's business. And so I would tell everybody in the school, hey, if you have a pencil sharpener that's broken in your classroom, um, let me know. I'll have him come in and fix it. I'm going to call him Chance. I'll have Chance come and fix it. And so everybody in the school building knew. And I beefed him up like you are the best pencil sharpener fixer in the building. And so when you do things like that, they take chances because they don't have these experiences of rejection, but they have these experiences of mastering. They feel like they belong and they can do, there's something that they can do. And so, especially if you have students in your class who you know they've had experiences of rejection, make sure you beef up their self-esteem and make a big deal out of those things that they're good at. And then provide honest and instructive feedback. Even if the feedback is difficult to hear, make sure that you sandwich it in positivity, right? Couple that thing with what they are good at and give them constructive feedback on something that they're struggling with that they need help with and then pair them with someone who is good at that thing that they're struggling with because now they have that sense of belonging because someone can help them with something that they're struggling with but then also whatever your student that is dealing with rejection is good at partner them with someone who's not good at that thing as well and so they have kind of like a quid pro, pro quo um, dynamic within them amongst them and that also builds on that belonging and that uh, resilience in trying to to combat those feelings of rejection. Encourage collaboration. Like I said, make sure that you partner them with someone who they're able to to showcase their strength in in that situation. And then the other student is also able to kind of give them the feedback and then give them their strengths. And so and so they're able to have a collaborative experience in the classroom. Sometimes when students who are dealing with multiple or repeated experiences of rejection, they have impaired concentration, right? They have difficulty concentrating on tasks, and that is a common occurrence. There's fear of judgment, and so that fear of judgment is always occupying their thoughts. That's what they're thinking about. I can't do this, or they're going to judge me. Um, if, I, if I say something wrong, they're going to judge me. So it, it makes it challenging, right, to focus on academic activities when all you're thinking about is constantly being rejected, and so to support these students, break those tasks into smaller chunks and then limit your directions to only a few steps so students won't have that time to wander and to linger and to think on those things or those experiences of rejection. They'll try to avoid academic challenges for fear of failure, right? That will lead to them trying to avoid even tackling something that they, they think is challenging. These children might choose tasks that they perceive as less risky just to protect themselves from potential uh, rejection. But you have to be aware of those things. When you are able to recognize that that's what they're doing, they're, they're picking the easy way out, challenge them to a task, but make it fun, right? 
it's important to set adequate challenges to change the discourse from a failure mindset to a you haven't accomplished it yet, but let's keep trying. Let, I'm going to challenge you. You can keep trying, keep trying. And, and it gives them a not yet mentality. But you have to allow for them to experience a mastery in something and then challenge, challenge them to try to get mastering something that they have failed in previously. And that will get them um, into a growth mindset and try to figure out how can I go from this mindset of I can't do, I can't do, I can't do because I felt rejected so many times to I just haven't done it yet. And then always allow for or encourage them for retakes, right? If they did fail, try again. Allow them to do retakes as many times as they need to to feel this experience of mastery. But allow them to try again. Always, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I know we have heard that so many times in life, but that is so true, especially for people who have experienced multiple exposures of rejection. They need the opportunity to try again to do a retake, to have a, a mulligan, because that only then when they f have these experiences of resilience, because in order to be resilient, you have to have first failed at something, right? Don't be afraid to model risk-taking yourself as a teacher to your students. We model everything for them. So model risk-taking, model failure. A lot of times when I was teaching writing, I would always make sure that I messed up on something and then I went back and corrected something that I was writing on the board because I wanted them to understand it's okay to make mistakes. I am not perfect by any means. And if I always try to present myself as perfect to you, then when you fail as a student, you're going to think that something is wrong. And so I want to mo I wanted to model that I also failed at things, right? I want to model taking risks, doing things like that. So make sure you model taking risks so students feel comfortable enough doing the same thing. And that's a way to promote um, risk taken for all your students in the classroom, not even those just who have experienced multiple exposures of rejection, but for all of your students. And so that they can have a feeling of resilience from childhood to adulthood. So let me give you some tools and strategies just for supporting your students. I'm, we're going to explore some ultimate tools and strategies that the educators who are listening and the parents who are listening can do to support students, you know, such as Jake or such as myself when I was younger and others like him. First of all, make sure and on your campus there is a trauma-informed education going on. You have to implement trauma-informed practices. Provide a safe and understanding environment that acknowledges the impact of rejection on learning and social interactions. Make sure you have social skills building, right? Introduce social skills programs to help children build healthy relationships and navigate peer interactions with confidence so that when they, are, when they don't get along, it's not that they feel like they've been rejected, but it's, that just may not be your person. You know, y'all may not have the same interests or the same likes and things. And then have individualized support plans. If you develop an individualized plan that considers the unique needs and triggers of each child, they will feel supported. If you collaborate with mental health professionals or other administrators or other um, people who understand rejection to tailor this support, then you will understand how to be, be there for your students, but not only just be there for your students, but to show them how to be there for themselves and how to have this intrinsic motivation to fight the feeling of victimization, of, of rejection at every turn. 
and then promote inclusive classroom culture. Foster an inclusive culture that emphasizes empathy, kindness, and acceptance, and then encourage peer support and discourage bullying or exclusionary behaviors. Because we see that a lot in the, especially in the elementary sector. Oh, we're not going to be her friend, or we're not going to be that friend, their friend. That is opens up a wound that continues through adulthood when when people experience that because they think that's going to happen in the workplace, right? They try not to get close to I've, I've heard people say, I go to work just to work and then I go home. I don't need friends at work. But that cannot be further from the truth because there are going to be hard days at work and you're going to need somebody that not only understands what you're going through, but to help bear your burdens. And if you don't have this um, encouraged peer support that, um, that is taught in the school system, in the schools when you're young, then that you're going to go through adulthood thinking that that's not something that you need. And so you have to foster an inclusive culture that emphasizes being empathetic with others, other kids and being empathetic with other people because then you'll learn those skills in adulthood and you'll be able to have these healthy relationships with coworkers or healthy relationship with family members. I know I have a family member now who... Um, isolates and, and does not want to get with family for fear of rejection, I believe. They they had a lot of experiences of rejection as a child. And I really believe that in adulthood, they're like, instead of trying to get close with my family members, even though I, I have a, a yearning and a, and a love for them, I don't want to ever feel like I'm being rejected if in case they don't understand my lifestyle right now, if they don't understand the things that I do or the behaviors that I do or the risky behaviors that I do, if they reject the behavior of me, I feel like they're going to reject me. And so instead of even trying to build that relationship, they isolate and it's for fear of rejection. And so that's why, why rejection casts this long shadow that goes from childhood to adulthood. It shows up in adult relationships, right? We have to support not only children who are experiencing rejection, but also adults who have unresolved childhood rejection because they are going to be the ones. And, and my key um, way to identify those adults who have dealt with unresolved childhood rejection is they are always the one that is going to play the victim. They are they they suffer from victimization simply because when they feel rejected, instead of talking about it, instead of dealing with it, instead of bringing it to the forefront or to the attention of the person who may not even understand what they're doing to them or understand the rejection that's going on, they isolate and 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 claim victimization or they claim that they've been a victim of something when it could be a simple conversation, right? It could be something to where you talk about how I felt because trauma is remember the experience. I felt this way. And then allowing the other person to say, that is not what I um, intended to make you feel like. I apologize if that was the case. A lot of times rejection is misunderstanding, and it's misunderstanding on the part of both people in adulthood, right? And even in childhood, it could be a, a form of misunderstanding, but a lot of children are not capable of expressing how they feel at that moment. And then a lot of adults are not used to listening to the voice of children when they're telling them how they feel. And so it works really both ways. Children have to be able to use their voice and tell adults when they feel rejected or when they feel like they're not being heard. But uh, adults have to also 
have a listening ear and get in tune with their child and understand, okay, they are having experiences of rejection. Let me go ahead and nip this in the bud. Let me listen and hear what they're saying so that they don't grow up with as adults with rejection issues, where they don't grow up as adults who play victim and who isolate from these relationships, who could be nurturing, buffering relationships for them for fear of rejection. And so we have to make sure that we support children who've been exposed to rejection and adults who have childhood rejection trauma. And before I wrap up, I just want to leave you with, I know there was a lot, but I want to end, end with our through the eyes of trauma takeaways because I want to distill the insights, right? Our four key takeaways from this, this uh, podcast. Number one, acknowledge the nuances, right? Recognize the nuanced impact of rejection on social dynamics, on academic engagement and learning, and on adult relationships. You have to understand and, and be able to recognize when someone shows up with experiences of rejection and how it shows out in their behavior. Number two, trauma informs learning. Embrace trauma-informed education to create an environment that understands and supports children dealing with rejection, but also supports those adults whose adult behavior signifies that they have unresolved childhood rejection issues. Number three, early intervention matters. Identify signs early and then intervene with personalized support plans to mitigate the long-term effects of rejection. And number four, heal first, educate always. Remember, healing is a prerequisite for effective learning. Prioritize emotional well-being to cultivate a positive and conducive learning environment. Thank you all so much for joining me today on Through the Eyes of Trauma. Understanding the impact of rejection is a crucial step toward creating a compassionate and supportive world. Until next time, this is Dr. Smith. I'll see you next week.